Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. It is going to be an interesting day today because it has taken a total turn from what I was originally going to do. So for the past while, I have been reading and picking apart Bruce D. Perry and Maya Svalovitz's book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Now, I'm going to be kind of aiming at Bruce Perry because he's really the... um the medical portion and Maya is just kind of helping him write the book. So I'll be referring to it as Bruce's book, but I wanted to just sort of talk about a few things. Now, a majority of this book is absolutely fabulous. I learned so much. You should see my copy of this book. I've actually read it three times. The first time I read it, I was doing school for foster care um, where you learn you know, you get your certification and have all your classes. And then the second time I read it, I had my daughter, but whom I had fostered, I think she was still a foster child at this time. Um, She was under two years old. Her symptoms for reactive attachment disorder and ADHD and PTSD and ODD and all those acronyms all kind of showed up at about 18 months. So she was She was already in a difficult phase, but she was only there for like six months at this time around. And then now that she is five, almost six, I picked it up again. And I tell you, every single time I read it, it read completely differently because you've dealt with different things. And at first, you know, I'm reading along and there is a a chapter where it was just absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And it, it it's called The Coldest Heart. And it was chapter, oh goodness, chapter five, I believe. It was hard. And it was, it was hard to recognize the connections that are made between um, the child and the story in the book. And then they're, they're real stories, but they're, um, and to recognize that and how that is so many relatable experiences in my own child's life. Now, but then I got to chapter nine And I've read chapter nine before, right? And when I read it, it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Because what it is, is there is a child. And this child has been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, which is what my child has. And the mom is falling apart. And she's trying to get help. And they send this child off to a, like, a place so that the mom can have respite because it is so hard. But then, oh my goodness, you guys, this took a turn to a place where I was so astonished. (laughs) I'm still so astonished, but I've slept on it. So it should come out a little bit better than, than it would have last night. I even, I picked up the phone and I talked to a friend because I was like, I can't believe what I'm reading here. I cannot believe the response. I, I, this is, if you've ever had a child 
with reactive attachment disorder, you know that there are two versions of reactive attachment disorder. There's regular reactive attachment disorder and there's disinhibited social engagement disorder. And that's the one my daughter has. And when I'm reading this, that's the one this kid has. So, but it doesn't appear that the psychiatrist in this case realizes that there are two versions. So he says that, um, (laughs) he says that many children with RAD are inappropriately affectionate with strangers. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Which kind of goes in the disinhibited file because, um, but then he says they seem to see people as interchangeable because they are not given the chance to make a primary lasting connection with a parent or a parent substitute from birth. Absolutely. However, I don't think he has the right angle here. I think that he thinks that, you know, it's almost innocently done. But if you have a child with reactive attachment disorder, and I'm not saying that it's not innocent, because I do think it is a disorder, but I am saying it is a very calculated move. So, you know, what I think is going on as someone who has witnessed this day in and day out for years is they use their people to get what they need. They use the adults to get what they want. And um, in a way, all kids do this, but the way that it is calculated with RAD is a line that I have never seen that before. (laughs) And this is one of those times where if you are trying to raise a reactive attachment child so that they love you, don't, don't. You are trying to raise someone to become an adult. And I'm going to continue on here. Um, These indiscriminately affectionate behaviors, this is on page 205, by the way are not really an attempt to connect with others, true, however, but rather they are more accurately understood as submission behaviors. I disagree. Interjecting right now, me, I disagree. Sorry, this is probably confusing. Let me continue reading. Which sends signals to the dominant and powerful adults that you will be obedient and submissive to no threat. Rad children have learned that affectionate behaviors can neutralize potentially threatening adults, and they don't seem to engage in them as a way of la- for, in a, sorry, as a way to form lasting emotional ties. Now, this actually is the part that I fully disagree with. Submission, absolutely not. It is a calculated. They might, they might end up in submission if you call them on enough stuff and you keep them in enough like borders and, you know, <laughs> if you do that, they might end up submitting, but know what you're dealing with here, at least in our case, is an alpha and an alpha does not get to be an alpha when they are three years old and when they are five years old. And so they have to be told in many, many ways like as in like in every angle that they're not in charge because even to this day, and my daughter has made massive amounts of progress, even to this day, she was sent to her bed for busting something and she had to, oh wait, I can't remember what she did, but she was on her bed for quite a while and over an hour and she, (laughs) 
hey, go up and check on her. And she has her, no, her sister checks on her and she has a granola bar. And I went up and I was like, why do you have a granola bar? And she was like, cause I wanted one, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, she doesn't recognize that, that there's a difference between I want one and I'm not, my punishment is that I don't get one until later. Like she, it, that does not occur to her. That's one of the things that's really difficult in raising a child like this. But the story in the chapter goes on and I fell apart (laughs) because they take the kid to the hospital and then they take him to that center. And then here comes the psychiatrist and they start talking to him and they are, you should see my notes on this, you guys, because they're talking about the mom here. When one of our staff interviewed James's mother, she seemed entirely focused on herself and her own problems, repeatedly expressing her distress about being separated from him and not any concern about what he might be going through. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you are in the PTSD that does indeed come with raising a child like this and you are separated from your child, you know that there is a punishment coming for you when you get back because I, I, I will explain this as simply as possible without going into the details of how truly complex this situation is, but they have, I went on vacation with my husband, but this, this doesn't even matter. It can be long-term. It can be short-term. <laughs> it used to be if I left for an hour, but I went on vacation with my husband. It was our anniversary. We went for three days. She stayed at my mother's with my other children and she loves my mother and she loves my other children and so it was supposed to be fine I called her every day because you do because if you do not maintain that connection with them they feel all over abandoned and then the whole process starts all over again and you are stuck back at square one and you can recover faster than the first initial year and a half I mean it probably takes a couple of months or a couple of weeks in order to to recover but you will be paying for this any time away from this child, you will be paying for and they will do it in vengeance and they will do it in anger and they will do it maliciously and you will pay for it both financially with all the stuff that is ruined and mentally with all of the mind games that are played because they they go back to that initial, I've been hurt, I've been abandoned, I need to, you know, react a certain way to deal with this. So as a mom who has CPTSD because of raising this child, when I see those sentences and she's saying, hey, I don't want to be separated from him. I don't want to be separated from him. There truly is a, you have no idea. I don't want to pay for this later. I just want to be with him so he knows that there's a connection and so that we don't have to do this again, that we don't have to start over. But because of this behavior, and oh my gosh, you guys, this next paragraph made me almost vomit. When I met James, I instantly liked him. He was a bit small for his age with curly blonde hair. He was engaging, behaved appropriately, and reciprocated eye contact and smiles. In fact, he laughed and joked with me and seemed to like my company. 
Stephanie, his primary clinician on our interdisciplinary team, felt the same way about him. Oh, my word. I'm sorry. Let me read this last sentence before I just go off. After four sessions, we had planned to stop seeing him because we felt we had enough information for our evaluation. And I can just tell you right here, this person has failed everyone on this team. They failed themselves because now they look like a doofus. They failed that mother who was struggling so bad. And they failed that child because now they have just given that child an opening. And I know this sounds psychotic, everybody. I assure you, I know. I also know it feels psychotic when you are in the moment. When you are looking at this little precious innocent person who is survival has ended up making them incredibly calculated because in the future, they will probably be the alpha of whatever group they are in. But raising one of these children who, oh man, it is, <laughs> it is a life-changing, exhausting, ridiculous thing. It plays no way like any kind of other parenting. And I have three biological children, some of whom have some pretty decent things going on in their life mentally. Oh my word, I cannot tell you how angry this paragraph made me. First off, for anybody who is a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, let me just tell you a little bit of facts about a reactive attachment slash social disinhibited social engagement disorder person. They can be amazingly charming because they are amazingly manipulative. They can be, they can find your weak spots and play you so fast and so hard that you're the sm- one of the smartest people in the entire field and you were played in four weeks. So I'm also going to tell you that if you are not the primary caregiver, this child may never be an issue for you at all. What would have been better and what they did not allow to happen is if that mom had come to and you had seen behind closed doors their interactions or or by video, you would have seen the behaviors come out because they can't help themselves. But it turns out later the mom wants to come The mom wants to come and the psychiatrist is saying, nope, nope, can't, she doesn't, he doesn't want to come and the mom comes anyway. So because of this, (laughs) wait, wait, let me read this next parent, this next paragraph. If a child has rad, the lack of connection and attachment goes both ways. Here I am myself again. Absolutely false. Absolutely false. Go on to the next sentence. There is a reciprocal neurobiology to human relationship. Our mirror neurons create this. Well, I want to remind you, Mr. Dr. Perry, that this is what is lacking when a child is neglected. When a child is truly neglected, their mirror neurons have nothing to mirror, right? And so they don't understand things, they don't get things, but they are still themselves. And they can still be capable of feelings, even if they are not capable. Like, for example, with my little one, she was played with sometimes. So she's capable of knowing that there are sometimes playful times, but it didn't stop the other things from still happening to her brain. 
Let me continue. As a result, these children are difficult to work with because of their lack of interest in other people and their inability to emphasize makes them hard to like. No. You might be thinking of regular reactive attachment disorder and you may not be thinking of disinhibited social engagement disorder, but I can assure you, I can assure you all of the psychotic behaviors, all of the imaginations that they are melting your face with lava and that they are scooping your brain out with a spoon all still happen while they are amazingly charming to other people. Now, my kid likes me now. My kid and I have, through a lot of hours of effort, learned to, she has learned to rely on me. She has learned she can trust me and I will go into more of that in a future date because I think a lot of the things that we have done have been incredibly successful. But I am telling you that when I say that these children can make amazing, amazing masks and in both in both their face and in their attitude and in their body language, amazing, <laughs> you, you will die when you find out that as soon as that child shuts the door to the car and they are exhausted from masking that behavior. Because don't forget, they can read you like a book. They are masters in understanding which eyebrow twitch means what and which lip flare means what. They are masters and they learn it fast and they learn it well and they have a very hard time when dealing with people who don't understand those kinds of body language because and they don't present it in a very you know consistent way such as certain types of autistic people because they they and they can't play them in the same way it's very very hard for them now I'm going to interject again because I can't help myself and I'm going to it's okay these kids do have a deficit. These do kids do have to make up for it. But what we're aiming for here is to make our children successful adults. I mean, functional, contributing members of society adults. So to not fall into the cave of the dopamine chase in drugs or in alcohol or in sexual behaviors, like that is what our goal is here. Because we can't make every one of these kids doctors. Because that's hard. <laughs> what we want to do is say, hey, you know what, I'm going to teach you these skills. And a lot of these kids are incredibly teachable because they are incredibly perceptive, especially in our case with the disinhibited social engagement disorder version of RAD. But I'm going to now go on because I have another note here in my book with a lot of exclamation points next to it. Interacting with them feels empty. So this is with his version original of RAD. Stephanie shouldn't have been so upset at disconnecting from a child with RAD. There should have been no loss of relational contact to miss. Therapists are as human as anyone else, and the lack of rewarding interactions with rad children tend to make the working with them feel like a burden and not a joy. Oh, my word. <laughs> no, I no, not the disinhibited social engagement ones, my friend, not them. 
not the ones who are calculatingly trying to get you on their side because they know it hurts the side of their parent. You guys, I will go to the store. I will be at church. I will be somewhere with her. And she even likes me now. We even get along most of the time now. But she will still turn anything and anyone against me. Um, she will, she will let one example. We're in church. She has gotten mad at me. She is wrestling me at church. I am picked her up because she's still small and I take her out of the regular big room into the side. Well, she's really mad at me and she's like, she's, I, I want to use the term screaming, but she's whisper screaming, like <laughs> kind of stuff like that kind of stuff. And then a lady comes in. And so then she starts sobbing and looking at the lady. And then she says to me, why in the world do you think I'm a troll? Why do you think I'm an ugly, hideous troll? Why would you say that to me? Well, because she's mad at me. I did not call her an ugly, hideous troll, but she is mad at me. And so she's trying to punish me through other people. And I can't even tell you how often this happens. And we get along. When we didn't get along, oh my word, this would happen the the second another adult came in the room. It was any kind of trying to discredit me, trying to make bad things happen. You could not trust a word that came out of her mouth regarding me when it came to other people. But now that we like each other, she still does this when she's upset because this is still a thing for her. And it continues on. And they said, <laughs> wait, here's, here's another one. It was clear to me that James had run away because his mother was harming him. Oh my gosh. Oh wait, I forgot the part where he says, James told hospital staff, mom is lying. Mom is hurting me. Please call the police. I realize and recognize that it is incredibly difficult as a medical professional to have someone say this and to not take this personally because with any other person you would absolutely take this very seriously but as I stated before I promise you my child will say this about me and not because I deserve it I promise you she will say anything that will make me look bad because she cannot help herself. Now, if you sit with her long enough, she will also say that she's not telling the truth because we happen to have worked really hard about honesty and she kind of likes getting caught, which is, I suppose, lucky <laughs> where she likes. She likes getting caught that she has done something wrong. So this has come out multiple times. But there's no way as a parent that I'm not going to look like the abuser here. There's just no way. But then he writes in the next sentence, suddenly James's behavior made sense to us. And they then, oh, oh my gosh, from this new perspective, I could see that the boy hadn't jumped off the second floor balcony or tried to leap out of moving cars. Gasp, everybody. They do. They do. I have it and I have it written and I have it videotaped if if you really need it, where 
they do. They try to do all of these things. I have had my daughter climb up on a bookshelf and just flat out jump off for no reason. She just flat out jumps off, off the stairs, off of anything she could climb on. She would at the park. It was awful. And I can tell you, I went into stage four adrenal fatigue because I spent every waking moment trying not to have this hurt girl injure herself. Every waking moment, there was not a second someone was not watching her because they do indeed do this kind of stuff and leap out of moving cars. Oh my heavens, people, I promise, I promise they will do this. I promise every window lock, every door lock, every everything. She was in a five point harness until she was five years old because it was, she She was so dangerous. And the reason we took her out is because she learned how to unbuckle her five-point harness. So then it was useless and I didn't want to carry it around so much. She sits in the third row because I promise you this happens. And when we are in my husband's car, we had the window down once and she stuck her whole self out the window and it was only open a tiny bit, but she unbuckled and she stands up and she sticks. And this is when she's okay. This is when we have made massive amounts of progress and we're okay. So I, this mom ends up getting her child and all of her other children taken away from her. And there's another part here where um, they're talking about the mom and they're saying that she doctor shopped seeking professionals who viewed him as a case of reactive attachment disorders and dropping those who questioned her actions or judgments too closely. And I'm just going to say right here, Mr. Perry, that you have done an absolute disservice to any parent who has ever had a child with reactive attachment disorder. And I know that this was written in 2006. And I know that time has passed. But you have done an absolute disservice. Because the truth is, I'm not going to a professional in which I have to explain to them the ins and outs of every part of reactive attachment disorder. I do expect my mental health professionals to know it. And now knowing that the people at the very, very top have no freaking clue, you are helping to participate in making parents who are suffering, not knowing how to care for these kids to not seek help. Of course, I would pick a therapist and a psychiatrist and all of those things who understand reactive attachment disorder. Of course I would. Why in the world, if my child had MS, would I take them to someone that did not understand MS? That would be stupid of me. I had myself, this is me. I had a therapist that I went to because all of a sudden insurance shifted. I couldn't afford certain things. So I went to somebody else who was covered by my insurance. She was a moron. She had no idea what any of this was. And I spent six weeks trying to explain to her. And all I got from her is kids are like that. Yeah, but isn't that just normal kids? I mean, don't you think kids are like that? And I thought, no, nope. Have 
any of your kids fantasized about taking your eyeballs out of your head and squeezing them in your hands, in their hands? Like, have you, have you had that? Like, is, is that your thing? Have you ever walked into the kitchen and realized that they put toilet water in your food? Have you ever had that? Is that a normal kid thing for you? Or that they stick their hands down their pants and then they wipe it on you because they think it's funny and they stick it in your food and they stick it in your water and they like to put their feces stuff all in all of your stuff. Is this something that happens in your normal case? Is that is that just kids being kids? Because you don't understand. And if you don't understand, you should not be the psychiatrist or the therapist for this child. You should not. Because this is an instance that is bigger then you know what to deal with. And unfortunately, thanks to uh, books like The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, as a parent of somebody with these issues, you realize nobody does know. They don't know. Because the ones who are the parents of these children can't articulate it without sounding desperate. I mean, I think you can hear it in my voice right now. There is a desperation that comes from raising someone who is absolutely on a separate course than the rest of the world and does so at your as the parents detriment. They are single handedly trying to attack you in one way or another as their main purpose in life. That is their main purpose. If you think of it like wolves, you've got an alpha wolf and you've got another wolf who wants to be alpha. Well, in our day and age, You cannot deal with them like the alpha wolf would like to deal with the one who wants to be alpha. And in our day and age, the one who wants to be alpha cannot start their own pack yet because they are too young. It is hard. It is broken. And I am absolutely disappointed in chapter nine of Bruce Perry's the boy who was raised as a dog. Thanks for sticking around while I got so emotional. And I hope that any of you who have a child with reactive attachment disorder and shows up as social disinhibited social engagement disorder, I always get that wrong because it's long, but I hope that you know that you are not alone I hope you know that all of us are having a hard time finding anybody who understands. And I hope you know that there are ways that this can at least be manageable, but can definitely get better. I am sending my heart out to all of you who are dealing with this. And for those of you who are just learning about this, I hope that you can have a little bit of space in your heart to know that there are exceptions to the norm when your child is an exception to the norm. Thanks for joining.